Are you guys ready up there? Hi, and welcome to the Women in Film and Television Ireland podcast. My name is Fiona Kinsella, I'm a producer, and I'm a WFT board member. When it comes to keeping an audience on the edge of their seat, the precision of the edit is everything. In this WFT podcast, acclaimed New York-based editor Julia Block spoke with WFT Ireland member and editor Amy O'Connell about their craft, Block's career and on cutting thrillers and drama that make a mark on the film industry. So I'm going to be talking uh, tension editing today with the very talented Julia Block, who I don't want to embarrass over there, Julia, but I think it's very fair to say that you have a talent for creating very atmospheric, often very tense kind of edge of your seat sort of films. So just as a short introduction to Julia for anyone joining us, um, Julia has worked on projects like Terence Malick's Tree of Life, which is of course a Palme d'Or winner, um, Edith Blue Ruin with Jeremy Saunier, which won the International Federation of Film Critics Prize. And her work has premiered at the likes of Sundance, Cannes, Venice, just to name a few. So all this to say, I'm very excited to hear about the way that you work, Julia. Um, and I know that you're joining us from New York this morning. So uh, good morning to you and thank you for uh, getting up so early to talk to us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Good good afternoon to you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yes, so I know it's kind of a customary first question, um, but I would love to hear about how you got into editing in the first place. It's a common question, but I feel like it just is a very uncommon answer. We feel like everybody gets in a different way. So I know you started out studying literature. So I'd love to know what brought you to film school. Yeah, um, it was, I will say, uh, a pretty roundabout journey. (laughs) Um, You know, I didn't ever, it took me a, a while to even think about film in general as a as a career. I mean, I, I liked films a lot, of course, growing up, but I was more of a book person. You know, I studied mm-hmm. comparative literature in college and I did a, even a master's in comp lit later on. And I was very much on an academic sort of track in that regard. But I did hit a bit of a wall with the academic aspect where I just kept being I don't know. I mean, I think it's so fascinating. I loved studying literature, studying narrative, character development, how different stories develop in different parts of the world, what, how they're, you know, because complete really is a study of literature. It's not particularly like English or French or, you know, any national literature per se. So you get to do a bit of sociology, some art history, some psychology, you know, really brought in all these disciplines which was super exciting, extremely inspiring, and like also left me with no idea how to make a living (laughs) if I wasn't (laughs) going to just continue in academics, you know, and become a professor, which, you know, a lot of people in my family are. So I did hit a wall with that. I don't know, I was probably 25 or something. And I was accepted to the PhD program to continue. And I just thought, I don't think I want to keep on in this analytic track I'm really I mean storytelling is endlessly fascinating to me but I think I'd rather be more involved in telling stories than 
you know, writing about how other people tell stories, basically, I mean, in a, in a nutshell. But then, of course, that took another few years after that, <laughs> after that revelation to figure out <laughs> what that would look like. And I tried my, writing my own, um, which is a whole nother story. Um, and I, I really think I ended up in editing in particular because I am not a writer. <laughs> As much as I would like to be, and I keep coming back to that, and that was always a big part of my identity as a younger person, you know, like not, you know, sometimes feeling a little bit tongue-tied, maybe in social situations, and then I'd come home and I'd just like, you know, be able to think through exactly what would have been the right way to write, you know, to respond, but, you know, here it is as a journal entry or as a letter that's mm-hmm. never sent, or, you know, it's, you know, highly dramatic stuff. But basically, yeah, I, I tried a bunch of different things in between university and 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 working in film um mostly around in and around the arts some art administration stuff I worked in an art gallery in here in New York for a bit not that long a year and a half or so sort of very you know front desk kind of job but really exposed me to some fantastic visual artists and um I didn't think the art world was where I wanted to be but it did start me thinking you know, oh, it's not, you know, the world isn't all text. <laughs> and yes. maybe there's some pictures there too that, you know, also can, it's very, it sounds sort of reductive to speak of it like that, but it really did kind of come to me as a new chapter when I started to think more visually um, about my, you know, how you could tell a story. Oh, we're videoing. Hold on one sec. Hi. We have period. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um so yeah good work um yeah so 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 long story somewhat shorter I did end up finding a film program I wanted to go to but I was convinced you know I'm oh I'm gonna be a cinematographer now you know I'm done with the text I'm done with you know not done but I'm moving on and now I'm going to be a visual narrative person and I, I went to this program it's in Denmark, actually. Uh, it's called the European Film College, and I never heard of it. Um, it was a friend of a friend who kind of, in passing, almost mentioned, "Oh, you know, you're interested in all these, all these different aspects of storytelling. Have you ever thought about film? If you don't, if you don't want to be a writer, but you don't, you know, you, you're thinking about mm-hmm. this, and you're thinking, about mm-hmm. it. I was like, oh, I haven't really thought about it." So she suggested this place because it was one of these programs that sort of, it's not an MFA, you know, it's a one year in and out kind of foundational course, but I was like, oh, it's in Denmark. That's exciting. You know, I'd never been there before. I like dogma. I was interested in going back to Europe. I had studied previously a bit in France when I was doing the literature stuff. So anyway, I I applied to this program, which I got into and I was starting off thinking I'd be a cinematographer and we do all these different modules You know, everybody touches everything. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know when the editing bit came in, but fairly early on, maybe a few months in, you know, it was all new to me. I mean, I'd never Mm -hmm. even thought about it before Mm -hmm. and uh, them sitting in front of the Avid and, you know, just like learning how to basic, basic stuff, but it just was very immediate response from me I was like oh this is this is where that all comes together you know it is engaging the writing aspect that I still hold on to in some way um but it's not 
me alone in front of a blank page you know it's like yeah. you have all this other stuff to work with um the interface of the editing software for one but obviously the footage and the partnership with the director and mm-hmm. the performances and music and sound and you know so once I started getting into that I just knew this was going to be a you know there was room for me to grow and I was a bit older I will say by the time I got there looking back now I it was I feel like I was very young but at the time I was definitely one of the older students in that program I think I was 28 when I started and you know one year program so by the time I got my first job by the by the time I got back to New York and actually started working I was 30 you know so you know not that that I mean which again seems very young to me now but um at the time <laughs> I was like, Ooh, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting in a little bit late on the game here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds it's super interesting because it kind of sounds like you had a perfect combination of background to come to editing because you had that study of the narrative style of when you're studying literature and you know, what is editing if it's not storytelling, you know, and basically just laying down that narrative um, and even I, I know in, in films like in his house, where it's you know classed genre-wise as a horror you're you're very much focused on kind of telling that story telling you know the dramatic story kind of behind it so is it is it that kind of fundamental thing that drew you to editing saying okay ultimately I will have a huge hand in how this story is being told you know what people actually see on the screen at the end of the day yes um and I think it's also about kind of getting under the hood like the mechanics of it a little bit like how does this work how because each film is different um obviously and you know each director is different in how they want to approach the material I think it can at some point it can get to be a bit much where your every new job is a whole new you know we always start yeah and, and, and even here often I'm working in a different physical space each time you know um mm. So your 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 daily work environment also is often just like, wait, where's the coffee in this place? You know, yes, like, yes, yes, like, yes. What's where's the where's, best place to get lunch? Yeah. <laughs> All that stuff. Where's the volume but, um, control in this room? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where are my settings? Yeah. Um, so there's all of that, you know. But um, I think there's something. I mean, it's a bit ironic, honestly, that like I have done as much work as I have in the horror genre sort of action space, because it's not at all what I would say I gravitate to the most as just a audience member mm-hmm. or even my just in my um, personality <laughs> at all. But I love working on them for maybe because there's a disconnect. And that's, you know, one of the things, one of the things that was sort of at the origin of my working with Jeremy, um, you know, he is an extreme nerd and, you know, deep, deep, deep roots in horror B movies you know, one of these, like you read about these, you know, oh, when I was eight years old, I was running around in the woods with my friends making, you know, horror movies. I was like, I was yeah. like under my covers reading, you know, Bronte. So <laughs> I <didn't know. laughs> that was me. I was the woods child. Yeah. I was making yeah. films in the back. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I mean, so, but, but, to, but I think, you know, he, he kind of 
sought me out because I had such a different background and because I was, mm. you know, uh, it was not about like, what are your horror credentials and, you know, mm. how, you know, how much do you know about gore or whatever? Because I was very open about like, no, not, not a whole lot, you know, mm. but, um, but it was really fun, you know, working with him and with subsequent directors I've worked with who are, you know, who have a real vision or who, who are really coming at it from, you know, I want to, this is what I want to make. And then together we figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. Is this sort of that process of it? I find very satisfying, you know, when it works, obviously it doesn't always work. Sometimes it's the most frustrating part of the process too, where mm-hmm. you're like, why, you know, hasn't somebody else figured this out? Are we reinventing <laughs> the wheel here? Like how many movies has somebody else made? Why are we trying to struggle to, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah, somehow definitely. it feels part of it too yeah and that's probably where your relationship with the director comes in like I know you mentioned Jeremy there you've worked with him on multiple things um I think it's funny because people think of editing as a solitary role but actually it's so collaborative and that relationship particularly with the director um is so important um I read an interview with you where you spoke about your process of interviewing directors you know after you've read a script and you're you're interested in the job you you want to kind of see if you gel with this person like what what are you looking for in a collaborator like what's you know is it just I think I can sit in a room with this person for months on end you know do we have the same ideas about the project like what are your green flags you know when you're having a conversation with someone kind of early on yeah that's a good question I I think that's something that I've only I've I got better at like more recently Mm -hmm. because of course you know when you're starting out there's the tendency to just like Oh, you you want to hire me? Great. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, totally. wanna... <laughs> yeah. You know, especially getting that first editor credit. You know, I was an assistant editor, not for a super long time, but I was, you know, I was an assistant editor for long enough to know that I wanted to move on. And um, and but you know, that it was foundational and great, like having that experience as an AE, yeah. I think was so helpful. Um, wouldn't skip that step. But I do think that, you know, the it was really hard to get that first one. So, you know, luckily I got lucky. Luckily, I, um, you know, my first feature job was with a director who, you know, we had some, there was, it wasn't smooth sailing the whole time, but we're still friends. And, you know, the, it was a great experience making that film. But, you know, as I evolved and I've been through some better functioning partnerships and some not so great partnerships and, um, you know, collaborations that have, you know, not made it all the way through. Or I've also come on to projects to take over, you know, and be the fixer. So I've, I've kind of had these different experiences. And I and also maybe it's just part of getting older, which I don't know sounds like a cop-out but um my priorities are shifting and I would say yeah peace of mind communication ability to have a um mature emotionally stable environment (laughs) in my workplace is is paramount and at the same time not that easy to find honestly you know it's mm-hmm. like it's it's tough and it's like anything else you don't always know in your one interview you speak with somebody from you know maybe half an hour maybe more 
Yeah, of course. Are they gonna, you know, is mm -hmm. it gonna be? So I, I do think um, green flags for me are, you know, it's a general demeanor. It's a general ability when you start talking to somebody, how, uh, yeah, yeah. Just, just how do we start the conversation? Are they easy to talk to? Do they ask questions? You know, mm -hmm. are they super distracted? Are they on their phone all the time? You know, mm -hmm. are, we, um, and I, I do try to ask more general questions about things that are going on in the world or, you know, um, personal things a little bit in there too. So it's not only about the script because you know we can do that and and we have to and it's important but I'm not going to be there having the meeting in the first place unless I've read the script and I like the script and I feel like you know there's material there that I want to work on so then I try to get into questions like you know why if it's a writer director also it's you know what why why this why did you write this you know what's yes. what's yeah, yeah, you at this point in your career what or if they even if they didn't write it you know what drew you to this material and um I think I do ask some questions about basic stuff like what hours are you planning on keeping you know what's mm -hmm. your daily schedule are you you know I like to you know here's my boundaries yes, <laughs> um, yes. You know, this is what I this is for me this is what I think is a normal work day what do you think is a normal work day yeah you know so and, important and that's it gonna is, be your life for you know the next six Definitely. nine twelve months so yeah you know, yeah. and other things like um, the notes process. And, you know, that varies mm -hmm. a lot if it's a studio film or if it's an indie film. But I like to know, I ask, I always say, who has final cut? Do you, mm -hmm. you know, who mm -hmm. I want to know? And if they don't know, they should find out. And um, who else will be giving notes? Who's involved? You know, who's going to be in the room when we get to the point mm -hmm. where we're doing screenings and we're getting feedback and we're, you know, when it's crunch time, who else is weighing in on this process and what's your relationship like with that person, you know? So they can feel like a lot, you know? Um, so I, I try to weave that into more like, I, you know, I love the script so much. And I'm not grilling you, but I'm also secretly. Grilling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> with, a, with, um, a, with a sort of sense of, um, I do think it's true. I think this is, you hear this a lot in any workplace uh, environment, not, not just in film, but I do think it's good to keep in mind when you're interviewing for a job that you are interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Mm -hmm. um, even if it's your very first time and you're super nervous, um, you know, I think humility and respect is always a good idea, but you should, you should go in there with a sense of what's my bottom line Mm. And what are, the, what are my priorities for this experience? And try to articulate that as much as possible so that, you know, you're both on the same page. I think, yeah, I think that's so important for anybody starting out, because as you say, you are so eager to just get anything. And when you're trying to build up your CV, you're just looking for credits and anyone who wants to work with me, I want to work with them. So, yeah, I think it's really important to hear from someone with the level of experience that you have that, you know, you, you get to a point where you need to, yeah, exactly. Think about what hours you're going to work on this job. Think about what quality of life you have, the feeling that you're going to have in that edit suite, you know, is it conducive to making good work here or are we going to be, you want the tension on the screen, 
you know, you don't want it in the room. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, so in terms of that tension, um, I just wanted to chat about a few sort of specific things and certain projects that I liked. Um, so I you know you mentioned score and music a little bit earlier on. Um, and it's obviously sound is always really important, but it's specifically, you know, it's really important when you're trying to cut tension, whether it's horror, whether it's just a dramatic kind of scene. Um, so for something like God's Creatures, for example, that score is so unique and it's also so crucial to that mood that you're building in the edit. For something like that, I'm just interested to know, were you using placeholder music when you worked on that? Were you linked in with the composer from the start? Like, how did that sort of play out on your side? So in that movie in particular, um, I started that movie, but I did not finish it. Um, mm -hmm. So I was involved in setting up a temp score, but the final mm -hmm. score, uh, there was another editor, Jeannie, who came on later to um, finish the film. Mm -hmm. So, but there was, the thing that was consistent was it was the, always the same composers and those directors had a relationship with you know, there's two directors and the mm -hmm. composers are also a partner, a partner. And so they had worked with them before they had a relationship. So they knew going in, these are our composers. So we started with a library of old music from, from them, you know, so okay. there was, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So we started, we started building temp, but with music of the composers that were going to be doing the final score. And there was some conversation um, that I started with them about, um, you know, I, I like to start, it, it depends if you, if you have, I think it's great if they already know, I want to use these composers. And mm -hmm. so you can start the dialogue early and start thinking about like, what's the instrumentation going to be like? And you know, what are, how big a role is it in God's Creatures? The directors had a very definite vision for how they wanted music to play. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it tonally, that movie really relies a lot on tone. And um, they also, they talked a lot about um, dancing and choreography. And there were certain scenes mm -hmm. in the Oyster Factory, like there was a sort of mm -hmm. a, a big scene in the middle where um, they discover the, the mold, you know, yeah. in, you know, the fungus and it, that which coincides with, you know, the, the, the girl fainting and the feeling of like all of these doom things kind of, mm. you know, and it's a, and it's all one shot and at least, at least most of it is. And, you know, that was just something they knew from, I think from before, I mean, certainly before they shot it from the script, they like had a vision of how they were going to shoot that and they kept mm -hmm. talking about it as choreography and mm -hmm. the music was especially and that was sort of a turning point in the film so we had a lot of really interesting discussions about you know this pivotal moment in that scene mm -hmm. and then almost trying to you know create a different <clears throat> um style for the film um in a way before and after but of course it has to feel like it's all the same film mm -hmm. um so yeah, but in other films I've started where there's no, they, I mean, they have no idea what they want, you know, and so yeah. I do have, um, you know, a library, a music library. Some of it is really old um, and I try to, um, you know, keep it updated, but I do sometimes 
I think there's a, you know, you can go back to the same scores often and it can become a little bit, you know, like I refuse to use an under the skin score anymore because okay. it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's an excellent score. It's yeah. fabulous for temping. It has such good rhythm and it, it's kind of minimal so it can be applied to all. But I mean, mm. now it's like if I go to a screening and I hear the first note, I'm like, oh, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah and I, we, need, we need new references. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you on that same point um, about a film like In the Wall, which I thought was so interesting. And again, just really unique in that it has no score at all. You know, up until that final scene where the music starts coming in. But like, I just, you know, I thought that was really interesting, that kind of a decision. Um, it certainly doesn't leave you anywhere to hide in your edit. You know, you can't use music to cue up anybody's emotions. It's all there in the edit, no cheating. Um, so yeah, I just, I'm really interested to know if that was always the plan with this film, if it's something that you discussed with the director, Doug Lehman, as you went along, you know, how did that kind of come about with, with that one? Because I just find that really interesting. Yeah, I'm glad you asked about that. People never ask me about The Wall. Um, <laughs> I really have a soft spot for that movie. I know. I just, yeah. It's like, and it's so funny that it's Doug Lyman too, because he does these like huge blockbuster movies, you know? Yeah. Um, and this was, like, he, he, it was basically a side project for him uh, mm-hmm. while he was in post on American made big Tom Cruise movie. Um, he, he's one of these people that like needs to overextend himself Okay, <laughs> and sure. so like, I don't go into production, you know, while I'm doing this other thing. So yeah. that, you know, and, um, that I had a great time on the wall and he is a, a really fascinating filmmaker. I think he's, um, you know, he, he does a lot of different things. And on this movie, we, I don't know actually whether he had that intention from the beginning. We did talk about it stylistically, you know, it's all shot. It, it takes place in real time and it was shot. It was a very quick shoot. It was like 15 days or something. Um, Cause it was very bare bones and it was very quick. Um, and it was all available daylight, you know, because they're in the mm-hmm. desert. They shot it in some crazy desert outside of Los Angeles, but it's meant to be in Iraq. And so, you know, this, set piece you know two actors one they're really in this chamber piece mm-hmm. um and so I had said something and which is true and I've gotten into trouble by the way with this before because <laughs> I it's true I don't like to cut with music initially mm-hmm. I really my whole editor's assembly you know I really try to keep it pretty dry because Mm -hmm. it is really easy to as you say kind of hide in there Mm -hmm. music can become a crutch I love music and I always want to work with music but I don't like to bring it in too early because I think you get locked into oh this is the rhythm of the scene now or oh this Mm -hmm. is really emotional and you're like is it or is it just uh, you know is the music swelling at this particular point yeah, in the scene, yeah. you know mm-hmm. and so and if you get locked into that too early you stop I think trying to do things so I mm-hmm. I think I was trying to make this point with Doug where I was trying to sound like I knew what I was talking about and he totally bought it he's like oh that's great like let's just not have any score at all <laughs> and I was yeah. like mm, I don't know I don't know what's Amazon gonna think about that um <laughs> And, and, and it's, and when I say trouble, I mean, if, you know, I've said that 
to studio executives who've really gotten freaked out by it because yeah. when you have a screening of course you need to have when you're showing it to people outside of just in your own cutting room mm. you need to have music and you need to have a, a basic sound design that isn't super distracting you know because otherwise they're just not going to be able to focus so all things I guess in good measure is what I'm saying but um mm -hmm. on the wall it was intentional and we also got really kind of nerdy about the sound design for that also because a lot of the storytelling in that film revolves around there's a ricochet of a bullet and there's a sniper mm -hmm. and it's like mm -hmm. they're trying to triangulate where is this coming from mm -hmm. and so you know the sound was naturally a big part of the actual storytelling so we had fun with that you know in the absence of music yeah yeah no it's 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 really interesting because it's not something you see um very often you know and I it took me a while watching it to actually realize you know there's there's no score here you know that kind of way because obviously oftentimes a good score you know not noticing it is it's doing its job you know um I read something else about the wall just saying with that because it is a fun one um that you had a lot of freedom in the edit because Aaron Taylor Johnson's character is kind of primarily acting with this disembodied voice for most of it so you kind of had freedom to as you guys went along do some rewrites and and change some things like that is that fun for you is that enjoyable like when I read that I kind of the fear in my heart you know where I was like oh no too much freedom <laughs> like is that fun yes. you know yeah. or are you kind of going hmm <laughs> we need no, to bring you, this back you totally nailed it um <laughs> I would say yes and both maybe mm. um at first it's fun because you're like oh yeah we can do this but yeah you there has to be some parameters to that because that's a very uh, I'm also glad you brought that up. I'm dealing with something kind of like that on my current job where, okay. where there's just a lot, it's a completely different type of film, but um, mm. there's just some things that are happening in some of the scenes that, you know, we want to change what the focus of the scene is about. And mm -hmm. it's great that we can do that. And at the same time, you know, at some point it's like, are we making it better or are we just making it different? Mm -hmm. And now there's no, well, what if this, what if that? And I think I love ADR and I love even just using different takes from production and kind of trying to slip it into the actor's mouth just to get mm -hmm. different readings. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so fun when you can, you know, you can change one word on the back of someone's head and suddenly it yeah. solves the problem. But mm -hmm. when you get into real rewrites, um, of actual, um, yeah, whether, whether, where there doesn't seem to be any sort of goal, like mm -hmm. end point, you know, it's mm -hmm. just like, what if this, what if that I super get frustrated with that because I'm like, I don't, it's back to that thing we started talking about at the beginning, like mm -hmm. writing is a different process. And one of the things I like about editing and that has kept me here mm -hmm. has been that um, sort of we could say tension <laughs> between you know keeping with the theme yeah, keep with the theme the tension between you know having unlimited possibilities within some limited capacity you know mm -hmm. it's like this is what you shot you know this is this let's let's keep some let's keep some things you know uh 
you need a parameter really don't you and then you can work within that it's that no end goal no parameters that's where it starts to get hairy because you can go yeah. in so many ways it's kind of like working on something with no deadline you know it's kind totally. of like well <laughs> because I could edit think... this five different ways you know <laughs> Exactly. On one hand, it's like, I think that's the job, right? You're like, tell me what, you know, give me, give me two points and I'll find the third, you know, like yeah. what's the, yeah. you want to know sort of what are you working with here in order to, for me to do my job? Yes. There need to be some parameters and there need to be some, um, like something that you're actually trying to achieve. And I, and I think that has, I've worked on some way more esoteric non-linear you know uh more art arty I don't know you know kinds of of projects mm -hmm. which I also enjoy and those are really fun but there's a different challenge there too where it's so subjective and it becomes like you know how you know is is this shot juxtaposed against this shot actually meaningful or is it just mm -hmm. you know is it just a mood you know mm -hmm. and I think there's I I, I like the fact that I've been able to work on something like um, Woodshock, for example, yes, yeah. um, which is an extreme high art piece in my estimation, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, you know, something like The Wall, which is just a lot more drilled down and kind of nuts and bolts. And I think, mm -hmm. I like to think you can bring poetry into um, anything and, and that I try to elevate or try to expand any anything that I work on with a little bit of that kind of um a little abstraction or I don't know what the mm -hmm. right word is it's, it's not quite like I mean already is too generic but to bring in a sort of a, something a little bit um ephemeral into the quality mm -hmm. of the editing that can kind of maybe make allow for you to interpret it perhaps in a mm -hmm. different way um, and I also like to bring a sense of strict, um, you know, what are the rules of this world that we're creating, you know, when I'm on something that's a little more, oh, there's a dream sequence, and maybe this is supernatural, maybe it's not, I don't know, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> yes, yes, no, definitely, no, absolutely, um, yeah, so I, I, I don't want to nerd out too hard here, just talking about, you know, shots and sound and things like that, but I do, you know, I want to leave some space for questions as well at the end, because I see some popping in there, um, so I suppose just in terms of that, like, your, your starting point for every project is always going to be the script, and you're going to bring, you know, what you bring to it, you're going to have those discussions in the edit, and things will change, um, I know we spoke about when you're, you know, when you're prospective collaborators and you're, you're talking about the script, but what gets you excited about that script in the first place? What, you know, is it something that you read and say, I haven't done something like this? Is it something like, oh, I've done something like this. I think I could do this differently. You know, what's kind of that, you know, little light bulb moment when you're reading something that you think, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to do this. Um, another great question, Amy. Um, I, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, I still, I do, I read a ton of scripts and I do read, um, I get things from my agent, but I also people, you know, somehow get my email or I just, you know, I meet somebody, 
like, oh, okay, hi. Um, but I like reading scripts. Um, I look for, I, I look for the way that it's written as much as what it is, because even though it will be on, you know, it's a visual medium and we will not be, you know, and, and execution dependent, all these caveats, but if someone's written something that has a voice, that has a sensibility to it, that has, you know, it shows that they're thinking visually, you know, which is again, you know, Jeremy is and was a cinematographer. You know, he mm -hmm. shot a ton of indie movies here in New York before he even started directing. And when he writes a script, even if he's talking about blowing someone's head off and throwing their body in the trunk of a car, you know, it's like I, it, he describes it in this almost like painterly way, you know, and yeah. this and that. I can't, you know, and I remember reading it and thinking, I could see it, you know, mm -hmm. and I was like, this guy knows what he wants. And that's a big green flag, mm -hmm. um, you know, with um, with the God's Creature script. You know, there it's it's it was very um, evocative of this place, which I you know I had I'd been to Ireland, I you know years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. I had not been to that part where they filmed in Donegal. Mm -hmm. Actually, you know, it's meant to take place in Kerry, but it's filmed I think in in Donegal mm -hmm. um, for reasons of um, just what they you know what they were able to shoot there, mm -hmm. and I think of. Um, you know, I, I got, I was lucky enough to go during production. So even though it was like the height of COVID, um, so I was able to be there and see this, um, this incredible, like magical place that, as if it sprung out of the pages of the script, you know, and I'm, you know, as an American, I think I maybe think, oh, I might be overly romanticizing this Irish fishing village thing, you know, like mm -hmm. the way that it was written about was so lyrical and I could just see that and then I was there, <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, that's really that, you know, yeah, and it's, yeah. so that got me excited about, um, you know, reading that script was, you know, I could just imagine this place and these characters, you know, but, but in that case also, it's the, it's, it's not ever just the script, it's the script and the directors. And mm -hmm. so for the people who are going to be making you know, this, this is their starting point, but then what are they bringing into it on top of it? And what's their previous work and what, what's their philosophy about it? You know, and, and that's where you can talk a lot in that ever important initial interview um, and try to get a sense of, you know, okay, this is what this, the starting point is, but, you know, how do you, really how do you see it and do we see it the same way? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that I think is, um, you know, sometimes a little bit, a little bit trickier, but I will say in conclusion, <laughs> 90, I'm going to say like 93% of the problems I encounter in the edit process are script problems. Okay. Yeah. Like, honestly, you know, yeah. sure, this performance stuff, maybe they didn't get the right coverage, you know, maybe some, you know, but at the end of the day, it's mm -hmm. a story problem that this wasn't thought, you don't have this scene that is this important. And that's what you end up trying to solve for is like, mm -hmm. how can we make this person, you know, how can we believe that this person actually cares about, you know, the outcome yeah. of this scene?
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's so important. Like, as you say, it is the starting point. It's the foundation of the whole thing. So it is, it's, it's vital. Um, I don't want to um, keep you here all day, even though I definitely could. So I want to um, just have a look at some of the questions that we've had in here. Um, so a question here from Barbara saying, what are your dream projects? What film did you watch that you wish you had worked on? Oh gosh, so many. I mean, but some of them were films that were made before I was born. So what are you going to do? You know, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, dream project. I don't know. I mean, I think, um, I think I would really like to work on something that, um, you know, was that's maybe had a, a bigger, um, like a, a bigger scope you know mm -hmm. something that was I really I've been doing a lot of these very small stories where you get to really kind of you know family dynamics or you know a, an intrigue you know in a very mm -hmm. small setting which I think is it's great um I enjoy that and I also would like to work on something that was maybe you know had a more universal kind of um not bigger impact but like implication you know mm -hmm. something that ties into I'm a pretty philosophical person for better or for worse so I'm always looking for you know what does this you know small story have to say about the bigger picture I like mm -hmm. making those connections I like when uh and and, and it doesn't have to be a huge scale I mean I, I think of you know like the Darden brothers I just saw their most recent film a few weeks ago and it's you know it's it's a very intense small story about these two young people these refugees but like by extension you can't it's inevitable that you you and you're thinking about the entire enormous questions of refugees and immigration and you know just politics and economics without you know they're not hammering that from the top down they're telling this yeah really brutal beautiful brutal tragic story um mm. but yeah yeah no you can't help but make those larger kind of statements with stories like that you know yeah um uh, this is a fun one how do you manage bad actors that you're already working with <laughs> <laughs> yeah one thing or 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 child actors Ooh, yeah. which I've often had to deal with who are you know it's, it's, hard, it's kind of harsh to say they're bad it's also sometimes they're like they're just they're just inexperienced you know Experience. sometimes I think it's, yeah no but bad I've dealt with bad actors too and or bad performances I don't think you know because you see the same actors sometimes you see them in one thing and they're incredible mm -hmm. then you see something else and you're like oh what what happened That's I yeah. And I mean, that I have not to pass the buck, but I think that's a question. That's that's a question of direction. That's an, a moment where you can really say, oh, this person was directed. You know, it, some director found a better way to direct this actor in this movie. And then this the same actor isn't giving us the same thing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's some weird alchemy that happens on set where they whisper something to them and I don't know the psychological games that they play to get them to give this performance of course it has to do with their dynamic with the other actors they're playing against um 
but you know, it depends. It, it's, it's much easier to tone someone down. I dealt, I've dealt with um, actors who were just like very broad or sometimes people who come from theater and they're not as used to being in, you know, close camera range or that's just how they do. It's just mm -hmm. very big. You know, mm -hmm. I think um, sometimes you end up stripping down actual dialogue, you know, because they're doing so much. You find you don't actually need to hear them also say the thing because they're so I've, I try to say, can we just get a reaction look from this person and like cut the actual dialogue? You know, I, mm -hmm. I'll try things like that. Um, or just try to find, you know, the moments where they're in between thoughts, you know, just something a little bit less. If somebody is flat, it's a little harder to bring them up, I find. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I try yeah. to just use the other people in the scene or something to, you know, yeah. Um, and in the case of the kids, like, I mean, that was such a thing on the tree of life. Those kids were just kids. Like, of course, Ty has become a huge star after the fact, mm -hmm. but you know, they were young kids that they found in these rural Texas school districts who had never done anything before. Um, and in my opinion, you know, they're, they're like, they're this, they, they, it's not even a performance. It's like, you watch these kids grow up and it's mm -hmm. this incredible experiential thing. And that's, was super intentional, you know, I mean, that was totally by design. And, you know, you, you, when you, but when you look at some of the outtakes, some of the, like the, some of the kid, the shots of these young boys, they're just like, very blank like they didn't know what was going on you know yes. but then, and then you have Terry kind of like whispering things in their ear and they're just like running around in a field I mean it's just wild but when you edit it and you put it together and then you put some you know shot of a gorgeous sunset and I mean this is subjective I know I realize not everybody thinks the tree of life is a masterpiece I do um and I was you know, one of many many people who worked on it um we all do Julia you know there's no need to be more <laughs> <laughs> but that was that I mean I have to say that was one of my earliest experiences I mean I hadn't even cut a feature film on my own when I when I got that job mm -hmm. and I ended up spending a year in us I moved to Austin Texas from New York and stayed there for a year you know working alongside some of the greatest editors that you know mm -hmm. I know and you know, it, that was a huge foundational experience for me. And uh, it came so early that it's yeah. kind of, you know, everything after that, I've, I still, I have in, I've brought that experience into my editing ethos, I think in ways I'm still not even totally aware of, because that was just where I really learned, like, what editing is, and, mm -hmm. you know, thinking about cinema in a, in a more, um, holistic way then you know and what a great what a great project to have that early in your career you know <laughs> that you can use it as a foundation going forward like it's incredible um this one kind of links into that um modesty sense of things where this person's question it's from Lorraine when did you realize you were a good editor what were the stages of your career trajectory when you realized how far you'd come and was there ever any imposter syndrome I feel like there has to be um, imposter syndrome almost in this this kind of a subjective creative career, you know? Absolutely. Um, imposter syndrome has gotten better. Um, that was also a lot of points to that question. I would say 
I mean, stages, that's the easy part. Um, I went to school, you know, uh, I worked as an assistant editor. And while I was working as an assistant editor, I kept trying to look for things to cut because as an AE, you, I think, like I said, it's a very important foundation to becoming an editor, but it is a separate job. You know, you're doing different things. Mm -hmm. You can learn a lot by and I was lucky enough to be an assistant to some really great editors who, you know, took some time to show me stuff, but I also kind of, you know, worked my way in there a little bit to, you know, ask them questions and um, try to get uh, them to, you know, I would, I would cut scenes and ask them to look at it, you know, mm -hmm. and I, and I cut short films for free on the side Um and, you know, for people that I just met or and, any, and I tried to get a little reel up on Vimeo, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, I really was just, uh, you know, so there was a, there was a, I, I, I always was looking to, to cut and to be an editor. And then I got my first feature job after, you know, trying really trying for a long time to get someone to say, yes, I did finally. Mm -hmm. And then I've just been editing. So, you know, well, that's not, I mean, I, I, that's not true. There was, I think even after Blue Ruin, Blue Ruin was the second film that I cut. And after that, I still was an assistant editor for, you know, cause the way it works here, we're, we, you know, we're in our unions, I get my healthcare through my union and mm -hmm. um, you have to work a certain number of hours to maintain your eligibility. And also it's just at that point I was, you know, I had a, I, could get work as an assistant editor that was more I had more job security as an assistant editor mm -hmm. than as an editor so I yeah oh, what was how did I know I was good that's tough because of course I think you know when a, this sec I mean the first film that I cut premiered in Berlin you know mm -hmm. so I was like wow that's incredible but it didn't, it did not get distribution. It didn't get, you know, picked up and then kind of never made it out into the world. Mm -hmm. So then you're like, oh, I don't know. What does that mean? Um, mm -hmm. I think I, this is, well, this, that's another interview we can talk about because it, it is personal. I think it gets really personal when you think, how do I measure success? Mm -hmm. uh, certainly there are awards, there are festivals, there are, you know, you know, if someone's making a meme about something that you've done and it's spread into the collective consciousness. It's probably good on some yeah. level, you yeah. know, even if it's, you know, because it's, it's reached people, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's said something. Um, that I have no memes of anything I've done yet, as far as I'm aware, but, um, <laughs> I'm going to start my wall memes. Um, no, listen, that's great. And I, I know you have to start your work day soon. So I thought we'd just finish on, um, one last question here and it links into, as you were saying there, when you kind of got your start out and you were sitting and stuff. As just a question in here for, from um, someone who said, I was wondering what you'd recommend film students who are fresh out of college to do um, when you're starting out in the world of editing in the industry, you know, how do we take that first step? Well, this is, I will say, it's probably a bit different depending on where you're located. So, you know, my answer for New York will be different, I think, than, you know, Dublin or mm -hmm. uh, London or LA. Um, but I think generally, 
and it's also changed a lot not to totally date myself but I mean you know when I started out you, you, no one had an avid at home I mean it just was mm-hmm. too it was this massive machine you know mm-hmm. like it wasn't and now of course you can edit on your phone so I think the tech the technological barriers have certainly diminished, but the craft is the same. Um, and I would say if you know you want to edit, well, I mean, I guess that's what we're assuming, right? You, How do you start mm-hmm. as an editor, right? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, you want to, assuming you know some platform, whether it's Avid or Premiere, um, you know, cut things as much as possible because people are going to want to see something no matter how smart you are or you know how well you hit it off with somebody you know they're going to want to see a scene at least that you've done you know short films are great um trying to you know just to have something to show um I like I have said I do think the experience of being an assistant editor to a more established editor can be really helpful not just for learning the ins and outs of the cutting room and the process but for networking you know um I really you know I think a lot of my assistants have gone on to cut which leaves me kind of you know I'm a little bit upset about that because I haven't held on to an assistant yeah for very long <laughs> But it's great because I I will mm-hmm. and I I get all the time you know people like I said you know asking if I'm available for and some things I just you know it's I don't for whatever reason I'm not going to do it and I can pass it on to you know somebody who's more in an up and coming position. Um, That's brilliant, and I think it's so important that we have editors that will do that. You know that will bring assistance on and, and move assistance through because it's so hard getting your start and it's even harder making that jump you know um so I think that's great that you that you're doing that I see Gemma has appeared and I see that we are approaching two o'clock so I don't want to keep you because you have a whole work day to start Julia you, you're <laughs> just getting going <laughs> I'm, I'm heading into the afternoon now I'm winding down <laughs> but thank you so much I, I really enjoyed chatting to you I I could talk to you all day um it has been so interesting so insightful so thank you so much um for joining us and and for answering all those um questions from the guys watching as well it's been great thank you of course thank you so much I've enjoyed it too to support the work we do make sure your membership is up to date at wft.ie or you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash WFT Ireland.